House come to order if members can take their seats. This budget is a huge job maker, and the number one solution to economic insecurity is a job. Hungry children can't learn, and it's our responsibility to try to help. Equality and opportunity. I believe most people are here because they want to do some good. If it's Thursday, it must be Capital Ideas, the podcast where you'll find members of the Democratic majority in the Washington State House of Representatives sitting down at the Capitol for a few minutes to talk about ideas. Today, you'll hear from Representative Jesse Johnson, the newest member of the House. He was appointed last month to fill a vacancy created by the resignation of his predecessor in the 30th District, which straddles the King and Pierce County line. I won't say much about him now because you'll hear his story in just a few seconds. We got together on February 4th to record this, and you can hear it right now. Welcome, Representative Jesse Johnson, to Capital Ideas. You're the newest member in the State House of Representatives here in Washington State. Uh, You're a Democrat. You were appointed by a combination of the King and Pierce County Councils. In addition to being one of the newest state representatives here, you're one of the youngest, and I think you were the youngest member of the Federal Way City Council when you were first elected to that body. How does that feel coming into a situation like this, knowing that not only are you new, but everybody else is older than you are? It's an exciting opportunity, and it brings new representation to the state legislature that hasn't been had before, and I think I bring a new lens as well, and so I'm excited about that opportunity to advocate and and really uh, push policy that not only impacts our generations now, but future generations as well. A lot of people are guided by pragmatism. A lot of people are guided by ideology. Mm -hmm. And you seem to put a lot of value on values. How did that come to be? And and what kind of values are driving you now as a member of the legislature? It definitely comes from how I grew up and being in a family. I was the oldest of four kids. And so I've always sought to lead with purpose and intention and to uh, make sure that my younger siblings had a, a good pathway, um, an example that I set. And so my values are definitely around equity, social justice and inclusion and making sure that everyone has an opportunity to not just survive, but thrive. And so that's really what drives me here at the state legislature. Tell me about your work with the youth action team. I, I, I think obviously just from the title of it, it has to do with kids, mm-hmm. but it's not an organization that may be familiar to many people and it's not familiar to me. So the Federal Youth Action Team began in 2016 after, unfortunately, uh, we had four murders of youth under the age of 18 in less than a month. And so this grassroots organization was formed and I decided to help lead some outreach efforts and making sure that youth had opportunities to thrive and and not only just economically, socially, personally, and and educationally, but making sure that they had um, mentors that could provide mentorship and so they didn't go down the wrong path. And coming from Federway, going through the school system there, I know how easily that can happen. And so the Youth Action Team has been um, in existence for four years now, and we've really sought to push uh, policymakers around youth violence prevention, making sure that we're investing not just in public safety from a reactive standpoint, but from a proactive standpoint in prevention efforts. And so we've made sure that youth have exposure to career pathways and the apprenticeships and the trades and vocational um, opportunities, as well as having, like I mentioned, mentorships, and also making sure that our youth feel like they 
are heard. And so we've held a number of youth forums to hear their voice and really bring that to the table at the school board level, the city council level, and then hopefully we'll continue that onto the state level as well. Since it's been in operation for four years, you've probably got some data now. How is it working out? Because of that organization, youth feel welcome and they feel like there's someone they can go to. They don't feel alone. I do think that uh, with that comes a lot of responsibility because we're continuing to um, have more and more youth that um, are coming down to Federal Way area because of gentrification in Seattle being pushed down south. And so we need to um, not only kind of um, move forward uh, in terms of how we do our work, but also move forward in financial efforts and making sure that we have the amount of capital to support our young people. So some young people come into our, um, we have a new um, resource center in Federal Way. They come there with ideas. They want to start a business. They want to um, make sure that they have uh, an opportunity to learn about music. And, and some of the ideas that they have are not being funded because they don't have those opportunities. And so making sure that they can come in with an idea, a business plan, and we can fund them, teach them about financial skills, life skills, um, open up an account so that they can start making money right now in school and they don't have to wait until they graduate and hopefully by that time they have an idea that they can go and take to the next level. But we really want to make this like a business incubation center where young people that have the entrepreneurial spirit have this business mind but yet don't have any capital to get started. As a member of the city council in Federal Way, your youth action team, that sounds like a local endeavor. Now that you've got a little bigger pulpit here, you're a member of the State House of Representatives. Mm -hmm. Have you been thinking about maybe pushing this towards a regional or a statewide footprint? Exactly. I think you hit the nail on the head. Uh, I understand that juvenile justice reform and criminal justice reform and public safety go hand in hand. And so we have to come up with what will address the root causes of systemic inequities and inequalities that lead to crime and violence of young people, particularly young people of color. And so going forward, I'm looking at um, how do we end the school to prison pipeline from a systematic standpoint, uh, bringing in more um, culturally relevant curriculum, bringing in more opportunities for young folks to feel a part of their instruction and curriculum. And so that's something that I can do here at the state level, as well as uh, juvenile justice reform. So what are some of our policies and practices and procedures that are creating uh, a hotbed of implicit bias and inequity that are then filtering down to local systems? And so that's what I'm looking at through that lens at the state level and hoping that we can achieve some type of uh, equity measures uh, from that lens. So this is something that you kind of brought with you from Federal Way. Mm -hmm. You're a brand new legislator. I know that you haven't had time to introduce a whole lot of pieces of legislation yet. But tell me about the kind of things that you worked on at the city level that you can see being translated into this arena, mm -hmm. particularly based on those values that you talked about earlier. Really, it's just like looking at who who in our communities has uh, been most marginalized and underserved because I believe in a concept of target, targeted universalism. If we help those at the bottom, it'll filter its way up to everyone else and benefit everyone else. And so at the city council level, I looked at young people, uh, working families, and seniors. Um, those are the three groups, I would say, that were the most marginalized in our community. And so at the city council level, I made sure that we put in funding for 
youth violence prevention for um, apprenticeships and careers and trades. Uh, for our seniors, we started our first ever senior advisory commission to advise around health care and housing security, which was important to them. And then for working families, we started a child care program so families could bring their kids to city council meetings and have free child care there. And so they can still be involved in the process, which we never had before. So some of those things I hope to bring to the state level in advocating for our young folks, working families, and veterans. And two of my bills that I've started already kind of achieved that. What are those bills? So, your chance to tell yeah, me about them. Yeah, absolutely. So my first bill is uh, House Bill 2711, and it is around uh, the educational disparities that exist for our foster care kids and kids experiencing homelessness. And so the graduation rate statewide is only 46% for those kids compared to 75% for all kids statewide. And it's even worse in my district. And a lot of those disparities exist because of transportation issues. Um, some youth live out of district and have to bus in or, or even Lyft or Uber in to school. And, and so there's a really high truancy rate of those kids. Uh, housing issues is obviously one. And then also just a feeling of isolation and and not a feeling of self-empowerment uh, when you're in those systems. And so the work group that I'm establishing with this bill will look at this issue uh, from a data standpoint, also from you know more of a uh, qualitative standpoint, bringing in student voice, family engagement, so that this group will then have families there, young folks there, um, caseworkers there, uh, community-based organizations to come together and provide recommendations to the state around helping our foster care kids. So organizations like Treehouse and Mockingbird Society will be at the table that are already working with those youth and then having more, um, you know, hopefully recommendations around after school programming, transportation, um, even housing for kids that are exiting the foster care system at 18 that are kind of left alone. How do we, you know, collaborate together to come up with some recommendations that will help decrease those educational disparities? So that's my first house bill. And then my second one, 2811, is around environmental education. So a lot of kids in urban districts uh, do not learn about environmental education, renewable energy, climate change. And so it's establishing a statewide program with OSBI so that every single kid knows that climate change and, and careers exist. You know, you could be a climate change analyst, you can be an engineer, you can be a you know, renewable energy conservationist, a scientist, and those careers are readily available to you if you decide to pursue them. And so I want to bring those to all of our districts in the state. It sounds very sharp on your part because these are both bills that even in a short session like this, I don't think that they would generate a whole lot of controversy. Mm -hmm. They wouldn't put a big hole in the budget. Right. And <laughs> I can imagine you coming into this session late yeah. and leaving it with some notches on your belt. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You know, you, you made a good point because I thought about, you know, it, it's a short session. I came in after it started, election year. Everything's a whirlwind, but yet you still want to have some things that you can say, I passed this and it's going to help people now. And so that's re really what I'm aiming for. And then my last uh, two bills that I kind of snuck in there at the end, um, one is around access to dentistry for kids that are three to five years old. And so one of the things we've noticed in preschool and kindergarten is that kids are coming to school with dental oral care, care issues that are, you know, around cavities and, and stuff like that that are preventing them from being able to learn because of 
um, some of those issues. And so this will have the um, ABCD program, which is a program that exists on the east side of the mountains in Spokane, bringing it over to King County so that all kids can have free access to oral and dental care. The, the funding's already there, so there's no fiscal note. The thing about it is it's just going to expand the program that already exists so Medicaid enrolled students can have access to it. And then the last bill is uh, a bill around family reconciliation services. So one of the things in our district is there's a lot of um, domestic violence. There's a lot of issues in, you know, family issues, divorce that we're seeing. And so a lot of the youth are kind of left on their on themselves to, to really have to figure it out. And if you're under 18 years old cu currently, you can't request services from the state like mental and behavior health that you'll need uh, parent conflict resolution, uh, culturally relevant trauma-informed services that will help the youth prosper even through some of these really like traumatic events that are happening in their lives. And so I want to make sure that we have services so a young person under 18 can request that from the state and it'll be provided to them. Is this kind of thing you expect pushback from the uh, sort of uh, keep the government out of my family crowd? <laughs> There's probably going to be some of that. But what I can say is if you're if you're a young person, you need these services to be able to academically succeed. You need these services to be able to, to even do anything because you feel like I know for myself, I come from a two parent household and without that strong stability at the home front, I wouldn't have been able to go on and, and do some of the things I did, um, my siblings and I. And so I know that a young person would need this. And so I, I really don't care about, you know, some of those other more political assumptions or perceptions that may come. I think that uh, if, if, a, if a young person in their family don't want to have these services, they just won't request them. But I think if, if you're old enough to have to deal with some of the outcomes, the negative outcomes that come from from a situation like that, you should be able to request services from the state and they should be able to provide it to you. I can't come up with a good argument against it. <laughs> I wish you the best. I know you've got other things on your agenda today, and I really do appreciate you stopping your drinking from the fire hose <laughs> just for a few minutes to come in and talk with the listeners of Capital Ideas. Thank you for your time, and, and I'll just leave that with, with, I think that everything that we're trying to accomplish is all within reach. I think it's going to take, obviously, a lot of bipartisan support, and so one of the things I did on the city council was get a lot of bipartisan support on my bills, and I'm proud to say that all four of my bills have Republican support as well. So looking forward to marching forward and getting those passed across the finish line. You sound like you know what you're doing. <laughs> Thank you. I'm glad you're here. Thank you, Jesse. I appreciate it, Dan. Thank you. That's one more Capital Ideas in the books. I hope you leave knowing some things you didn't know when you got here. And don't be a stranger. We're posting new interviews with your legislators every Tuesday and Thursday during the 60-day session. And I encourage you to subscribe to Capital Ideas at housedemocrats.wa.gov or wherever you find your favorite podcast. This is your state government. What happens here matters. And the more you know about how it works, the better it can work for you, for your family, for your business, and for all of us. I'm Dan Frizzell for the Washington State House Democrats, putting people first since 1889. Thanks for listening.